0: From Humber College, Toronto, in association with the Etobicoke Philharmonic Orchestra, I'm Mark Whale, and this is the Music Listening Project. I'm very pleased to have with me today Mark. He is a conductor and a flautist, and I believe a professor in... Anthropology. Anthropology. So today we are going to be listening to uh, Sibelius's Violin Concerto in D minor. And here we have a recording by, uh, that's played by Itzhak Perlman, conducted by Andre Preven with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. Sibelius is a Finnish composer uh, writing at the end of the 19th century and it, I mean it's quite unusual when you think about the body of classical inverted commas music it's predominantly German at least well German, Italian, French, sort of Central European. But as we go into the later 19th century and themes of nationalism and nationalistic pride start to come out and Various composers begin to sort of explore their own traditions, uh, Tchaikovsky in Russia, for example, Wozniak, Czechoslovakia, and Sibelius in Finland. And you might hear in the music, at least I do, and I'm not sure whether it's simply through some association, a sort of Scandinavian kind of sound. Would you, would you agree with that?
1: But I, I, I'm going to reserve that until I hear it, because I don't want to hear things in this performance that I'm going to make up in my mind before I come to the performance.
0: That sounds like a really smart idea, Mark. So we're going to begin by playing about the first sort of minute of this, and then I'm going to ask you what you're hearing. So, why don't we start with that uh, very haunting opening, so what particularly struck you?
1: Let me go back to what I said earlier, uh, why I was resisting telling you about what I could hear in the music, because there are a number of contexts for my hearing this now. First of all, we know it's by Sibelius, so we know he's a great composer. It's also played by Itzhak Perlman and Previn conducting. So we're also reverent there because these are such fine musicians. But then there's another context for how I'm listening to this piece now. Here I am sitting in the back of your house, looking out into this wonderful garden, and there are a couple of things going on in this particular context. It's gray outside right now. It's rainy so all of those things are impacting how i feel about this music and so right now to me i've got gloom and maybe this is the kind of finnish or scandinavian atmosphere you wanted to talk about earlier where it's cold it's snowy it's gray uh, so I'm starting to, to put all of those things together as I'm thinking about how to listen to this.
0: So how do you think the, the, the music is expressing this?
1: Well, I heard it in terms of the natural world. There's this little scene that's out there. Maybe it's waves lapping up on a shore. And then, I, because you know me as a bird watcher, I, I'm hearing different calls. First, there's one here. Then there's the violin. Then there's the clarinet. And
0: they're just coming from different moments. That's a nice way of thinking about it. So let's just see if we can hear those calls. So there's my ground.
1: There's one call. in the distance it answers
0: yeah it's beautiful that clarinet that kind of echoing i am just incredibly struck by the atmosphere created by the Simple. yeah incredibly simple incredibly bare and then this this again i can't think of a different word other than bare or spare violin
1: well, it's sparse.
0: Sparse is and, good, yeah. And
1: I think that maybe you were on to something when you talked about Finnish or Scandinavian, and maybe this is about national character too. I'm
0: also struck by the fact that, uh, without wishing to get too technical, just that first phrase, da dee da dee-dum, that fall is a fall to home, because it turns out, of course, <laughs> that dee-dum, that's the keynote. And then he comes back to it. So he starts almost away from home and immediately kind of makes that that kind of fall to home, cements it, and then goes off again. Hmm. So this is almost uncertain, isn't it? It is. So that's the keynote. And again. and then the the shift in the harmony. Wow! Isn't that an incredible, (laughs) uh, incredible dissonance? It's worth just hearing that again. And here comes the dissonance. Yeah. The pace is so extraordinary, isn't it? Because you have this long, long passage, which I guess, which is this tonic chord of D minor, just held over a long, long period of time with minute shifts in harmony, and then just at that last bit, you get this sudden movement in harmony.
1: Well, it's funny that you drew, you drew me to that figure, that da di da da If you don't know any better, you could think you're listening to minimalism. Right. So, so there's Philip Glass right there, and Stephen Reich, and then Mm. suddenly you've got something else on top of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Just so here, here we have this sudden shift in the speed of changing the harmony. Yeah. Mm. the chords are all changing underneath. Of that chord, that chord, mm. and then there's this kind of moment here. Suddenly, where we is it a kind of sense of arrival, or a sense of release, or a new oh, sense? I, of going I felt this? scared. Okay.
1: suddenly in the bass there's something something murky there's something moving down there that wasn't there before right
0: and is this where the timpani comes in I think that's down yeah. the bottom is the timpani timpani. There's the timpani. get on to the next bit where he kind of almost goes off in a trance we're going to hear that it's very improvisatory in nature but it's very dramatic the way that whole first section is set up in terms of almost nothing happening and then you begin to get a kind of a slight movement i was indicating in in the speed of the harmony and then suddenly there is this point where the orchestra starts to actually Mm -hmm. engage the soloist and it becomes much more of a I wouldn't say a conflict, but there is definitely uh, intense dialogue going on.
1: For for me, I, I can't figure out what time of day it is yet, because it seems so grey. It could go either way. This could be morning. This could be deep in the middle of the night. Right, and I can't yet locate it.
0: Right. <laughs> what do you mean in terms of the tensions that are going on? Well,
1: I, how I'm listening to the piece. You know, right. I, I'm trying to put myself there. In it right so I think I've been successful in creating a place in that I'm either by a seashore or I'm in the middle of woods okay but I can't yet figure out what time of day it is <laughs> right? and I don't know if it's because it's so gray and foggy and Sibelius has been so successful keeping me unsure or keeping me in the mystery
0: okay Let's listening to this bit again, where so we have this midpoint where the timpani suddenly come in, and you're indicating uh, this sinister idea, and then suddenly the orchestra starts to engage, and everybody picks up, and the violin becomes more and more intense, hmm. and you begin to hear the <laughs> da dee da da dee burn. Up. So picking up from the the opening, if you remember, the opening is da dee da and you're going to start to hear that. da They're going to start developing that little bit. There you go. And I just want to... Say one other thing. So you've got the da di da da da, and underneath you've got the, the, these triplets going ya da 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 So as the violin goes up, ba de, da da da, you've got it going down ya da 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 <OSA> Hear the triplets. Ba, 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 Now you get this kind of virtuosic improvised mad
2: violinist bit.
0: What do you think he's doing there? But I,
1: it, it, it's incredible how the violin is scattering here, scattering there, scattering everywhere. And then all of a sudden I, the orchestra comes in just underneath and I didn't expect that to happen.
0: In case you didn't get that again, like, so you've got this massive, great cadenza bit uh, where a is going berserk, uh, playing this mm-hmm. intense spiccato. Um, spiccato is like this bounced bow kind of idea. So you're letting the bow uh, spring off the strings. Um, and uh, as he comes down and as he begins to kind of, uh, I guess, ease up, then the orchestra comes in with the opening tune. There's the orchestra with the tune. I love that, I love that bass.
1: if I have to be honest with you, I'm still confused by this piece. I'm still being held back. And I I have a question for you as a violinist. Mm -hmm. Um, You obviously as a violinist would know this piece far better than I. But it seems to me that in all of the concerti that, that people go on to make their careers with, that I never hear someone starting out with the Sibelius. You know, there's the Beethoven and the Brahms, of course. People love the Mendelssohn, and of course, there's the Tchaik. But uh, Sibelius? And it, it seems like it takes a special kind of player to play this, and it's not immediately drawing me in in the way those other concerti would. And, and so far, I can't feel my place in it. <laughs> and I don't know if this is the piece, I don't know if this is what Sibelius is wanting me to hear, what Perlman is asking me by in his performance, or just the gloomy context of our listening now.
0: Interesting points, and I'm not sure that I have anything really very intelligent to say. I agree with you that in terms of the hierarchy, if you like, of great violin concertos, I mean, while Sibelius is up there amongst the great, Mm -hmm. in terms of what violinists would consider, you know, is standard repertoire. Sibelius is definitely up there, but it's, it's not the Mendelssohn, it's not the Tchaikovsky, it's not the Brahms. And again, for me, it's difficult hearing it now and dis- hearing it kind of objectively in the way that you're hearing it because it's something that I've always grown up with. But it does feel to me that, that it's far more about effects and argument.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, I I feel that the Brahms and the Beethoven and the Mendelssohn even have uh, substantial musical arguments where I'm amazed by the development of themes and I'm drawn through the piece in that sense. With the Sibelius, I'm not. I'm more drawn through it in the way that I might be drawn through a piece of really good film music. It's creating moods, it creates feelings in me, but I'm not sure, like you, necessarily what those feelings mean. I mean, you know, if we if we go on to this next bit now, uh, this is a very uh, different feel to the bit that we've just had. I mean, that's the other thing about this piece of music is despite that it's kind of late romantic, it's incredibly tonal. You know, uh, uh, its romanticism is more in its dramatic shifts and right, right, of right, mood. You right. know? I'm almost thinking of the Rager.
1: Right. Moment. So I wanted to ask you before we go on, just one more thing.
0: I, obviously, we
1: don't have scores in front of us, so I can't check what kind of tempi marking or pacing Sibelius wants us to hear. But it seems to me that you could go slower or faster without really destroying what Sibelius is trying to do here. I, I don't feel, um, you know, if you were to, to play the third movement of the Mendelssohn, far slower than usual tempo, you'd feel it. Mm-hmm. But this, I, I I feel there's a lot of leeway that we could have in performing this.
0: I think you're right. I mean, it has that, uh, it, we, whether we get to this or not, it, there is another kind of improvisatory bit, the cadenza. <laughs> That comes after this bit and this next theme in fact is marked slower mm-hmm. than the rest of it but you're right i feel it has a kind of a again it goes with this sort of this is less an argument more of a patchwork of of mutes, atmospheres atmospheres right. and and it obviously has a structure as you'll hear when you you listen to it so you know it, it is in broadly a kind of uh, whatever concerto sonata form Uh, in that it has two main themes and then there's the development, I guess, of the cadenza and then it repeats the two main themes. Let's just listen to the next bit. here we could just go back over that bit because i think that that illustrates both of our points both your idea of it seems that the tempe have a lot of leeway you know this has to move but it certainly it has that feeling that the rubato could happen and it's already slightly confused because you've got two different sort of time zones going on with the orchestra and the violin. But also just in terms of the two different moods within a very short space of time. So if we actually, I
1: laughed because uh, of what this did to me. So it's as if just at that beginning of what the part you just played, uh, the sun came out just a little bit, and then suddenly (laughs) I found myself sitting uh, in the sun in in a coffee house outside in Budapest. Okay, <laughs> I, 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 and I, I don't yeah. know why I was whisked well, there. Well, let's, let's let's
0: just play that. See, hopefully I, I got if the this right thing. Yeah, sun coming out. It's quite beautiful. And then, Budapest. I am in the coffee
1: house waiting for my poppy strudel to come (laughs) oh I'm weeping oh okay Okay. and and the Romani violinist has walked away from my table and now I'm left back with Sibelius you're
0: you're destroying it Mark you're destroying it Okay, wait, wait for the, the next bit is, and again we, we're now going to get uh, this sun coming out, but and it's, where is the music going now? And again, very tonal, simple arpeggio.
1: Yes, so you're going to laugh at me again, because now I'm back on that same idea of the coffee house. And of course, since Sibelius is not here telling me how to listen to it, I can listen to it however I please. Maybe this is his attempt at the dream sequence. Suddenly I'm being taken to this place. Now the violinist has walked away from the table and I'm left thinking of my love. Where did she go? How come she never met me? And and. Maybe this is the one thing I want to think about in this section.
0: Well, it, it's interesting because to begin with, I was resistant to your idea to put a story to this. But I think what your your story is doing is at least showing me, in a, in a sense, how often this mood is changing.
1: But I wanted to get away from that thing you said, you know, in, in my no, brain, I know my you're fault. right. Because my you fault. said Dvořák and his check... Uh, Tchaikovsky and his Russianness. on and on we can go about people and their characters but maybe there is another way to listen to it that doesn't make me think of Sibelius and Finland
0: yeah, no, and, and I was like, I shouldn't have actually said that at the beginning of this I guess that was one of the problems because that's not how I want to listen I mm. want to listen to what's going on right, in the right. music but i think that the discussion has illuminated to a certain extent what's going on in the music or at least it's given us a way of thinking about how the, the, the mood is constantly changing right. and, and, and the, how the, we make our own associations
1: with what we're hearing
0: right yeah. but also how to a certain extent you know what you seem to be indicating is that it's unclear what's holding these moods right. and these scenes together right. and, and uh, so that's uh,
1: why the story for me helped out. At the beginning, I'm sitting, I'm brooding. I could be anywhere, I suppose. And now he's given me this chance to dream and think about something that happened.
0: Let's just listen to just that last bit again, and then I think we'll sum up. There's the mirror of the rising arpeggio. This really is the sun coming out. But immediately, There's a slight cloud, isn't there? That timpani in the bottom. We're back into this passion. To summarize, for our listeners, what would you give them to hang on to? What are your summering? Well,
1: uh, to be honest, I'm sad this is over because I want to hear more and I want to see where my story is going to go. Because suddenly at the end of that excerpt, I was thinking of good Dr. Freud on his couch and I know the violin was about to get crazier and I wanted to hear what's happening inside my head or Sibelius's head what was going to happen to this story. So I, I, I can't yet sum up what was happening. And if I had to offer anything constructive to a listener, my advice would be to not advise them, right? To come into wherever they're going to be hearing this piece, presumably in the concert hall, um, and, and and let their own associations yeah, play I, in their minds.
0: Right, and I think that's the, the, the advice is, obviously there's a close listening, which Mark sort of indicated at the beginning when he was talking about the sense of place or his attention being caught by the here and then a bird over there and another bird over there. So I think there's something really interesting about this idea of allowing our ears to be taken or to be captured by the different sounds, instruments, timbres, textures which are happening and to go with that and not to get fixated on one particular line. Uh, And I think that uh, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is I think that what one finds, at least what we've discovered, is that the combination of these things is constantly creating a different type of picture, a different type of scene. And that's, you know, it it could be interesting or it it could simply be a row of scenes. We'll leave it up to you. Anyway, thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, I'm sure you'll hear from Mark again in future episodes.